we're gathering together with millions of, of other Jesus followers around the globe to celebrate the greatest event to ever happen to humanity, Amen. Easter Sunday. See, our, our culture thinks that, that Christmas is where it's at. Now, Christmas is cool, and it's kind of necessary, right? I mean, he, he can't come and die unless, unless he first was born, right? But Easter is what changes everything. Easter is the fulfillment of our faith. Easter is what makes the good news great. And so um, I just want to encourage you as we, as we uh, worship and get in the word today to just realize that, that God is doing an amazing work in the earth today. Um, I was thinking about it. This, our, our culture kind of, uh, well, we, we, we kind of have this, this idea that whenever we get good news, it's too good to be true. You ever feel that? Like if good news comes, you're like, okay, it's probably too good to be true. Essentially, we live in a culture full of skeptics. And, uh, and, and I, I, I'm one of them to many, to many ways. Like this, this just happened to me this week. Two things. It maybe happens something like this to you. Um, on Monday, I get a random phone call. And it's like from one of those numbers that you're like, I don't know you. You know, or it's a little too close to my number. And so I'm like, ah, fine. I answer it. And it's one of those where like, you're like, hello. And then there's a pause. It's like, did I call you or did you call me? You know what I mean? And then all of a sudden they get on. They're like, hey, well, I have good news for you. I'm like, oh, okay. He goes, you've won a, a free vacation from that sweet sweepstakes entry that you entered into. And I'm like, I never fill those out. And I just hung up on him. And you're like, well, that's not very Christian. It is to me. Okay, so, because if I kept him on, both, I probably would not say nice things. And so uh, it, it was best for me to hang up. And so I hang up on him. And then, then the next day on Tuesday of this week, my son texts me with a picture. And he says, hey, Dad, good news. I was like, what? He goes, uh, we got a scratch-off postcard in the mail from, from an auto dealership. And I scratched it off. And we won. And I, so I'm looking at the picture. I'm like pinching and zooming. And I'm like, what, what is this thing? And, and it, apparently we didn't win a car, which is like, seriously. We won a 70-inch flat screen TV. Now, now, here's the deal. Okay. Now, I know you're like, did you just say flat screen? Yeah, because I'm old. Okay. They're all flat screens now, aren't they? I hope they wouldn't be giving us. Listen, I'm a kid of the 80s. So for those of you who are younger and you don't understand, we didn't always have flat screens, okay? We used to have the cathode ray tube TVs, okay? These suckers were pieces of furniture clothed in mahogany, right? If you, does anyone remember these? Come on. These, you, this is when TVs meant something. You know what I'm talking about? You bought one for a lifetime. And we had one, you had to hit it to make it work, just like my kids, like, it's okay. Nobody heard. It's like, but here's the reality. I'm looking at these two good things, like good news. Like I got a free vacation and a free 70-inch flat screen TV, and I literally just wrote back to my son, it's a scam. I didn't investigate it because I knew it was a scam. Why? Because we get this stuff all the time. We get junk mail all the time. Everybody wins at these things, right? Uh, we get phone calls saying that you won all these different things all the time. I didn't even bother investigating it. I literally assumed it was a scam and dismissed it right away. Didn't even look into it. Now, I don't think that I'm, my skepticism, like I'm alone in this, because you just have to be a breathing, living, human thinking in the world today. We get, 
all kinds of skewed news reports. And this is on both sides of the political spectrum that causes skepticism for people. You know, we, we have people in our life that we thought we could trust and then guess what? They can't be trusted, right, because they do something or did something that they said they wouldn't do. And this goes from politics to religious leaders to the Me Too movement where we're just kind of wondering and thinking, I don't know how I feel about this or if I can trust anyone, so we become skeptical. And the skepticism, I think it filters down into how we view Christianity, organized religion. Maybe you're here today and you're just like, man, yeah, you know, like, uh, this is great and all that kind of stuff, but I don't know if I can really trust this whole church thing. Or maybe you had a bad experience at a church or with a Christian leader. Or maybe you've got a Christian friend that said one thing and then did something else. And what does it do? It puts a bad taste of Christianity in your mouth. And you're like, I just, I don't know. I, I like the Jesus, but like, I, I don't know if, I, if I'm going for all the followers and this whole structure stuff that people have. And here's what I would say. If you have a bad experience at a restaurant, you don't write off eating food altogether, do you? You don't like, oh man, like I, I, I got some food poisoning at Chili's. I am literally not going to eat food ever again. No, no, you blame the restaurant. You blame the, the cooks. You're like, yeah, I'm never going back to Chili's again, but, I, but you're not writing off food. And I think it's the same way when it comes to Jesus. Like this reality is, is that if we're really, truly honest, sometimes the follower of Jesus, followers of Jesus haven't followed Jesus that well, but it does not negate the resurrection, the event, the experience that changed the world. Easter split time in two, B.C. and A.D. We used to use that back in the 80s, too. Before the BCE, CE, that we do now. Like before, listen, it's split time in two. It's the greatest event in humanity. This is a pretty important thing. This is the thing that transformed people. It transformed and changed my life, and it's continuing to do so even to this day. Easter's a pretty big deal. And so this morning, I wanna, I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'm just going to put it out there. At the end of this message, I will give you an opportunity to believe in the resurrection. Maybe this is the first time for you, you know, to, to find that the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead can live in you and is available to you today. I just want you to know that. And so we want to take a moment and we're going to read through the, the Easter story, John's account of the Easter story together. If you would, we do this every single week here at New Life. When we read the Word of God, we stand together just because we, want, we just want to stand to honor the reading of God's Word because it has a whole lot more to say than I do. So stand with me if you would. We're going to start in John chapter 20 and begin in, in verse 1 of John chapter 20. If you've got your Bibles, you can look along, stay in there with me, or you've got a version app, or if you don't, it'll be up here on the screens. It says this, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple and the one Jesus loved and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. Verse 3. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. 
Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloths that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Verse 10. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? She said, they've taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus, and he asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, <laughs> seriously, Mary, she, said, she says, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and, and I will get him. You're not that strong. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to, says to her, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that, uh, that he had said these things to her. Lord Jesus, I just pray that as I thank you for the reading of your word, God, I pray that today as we come to celebrate an event, that it wouldn't just be the celebration of a yearly event, but that it would be experience of encountering the living Christ for us ourselves. Jesus, as we dig into your word today, God, I pray that you would just explode it into us, Lord, that we would see it in a new way and that we would encounter you fresh. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. So I want to just take some time, like we do every week, we'll kind of walk down through this account. So if you've got your Bibles or whatever, just stay on, on, on John chapter 20. One thing I love before we start going into this, I love how raw and uncut this story is. People will say, maybe you watched like a Netflix documentary on, on, on all this stuff and you're like, I don't know, they said it's a sham, they said it was all made up. Here's what I want to say before we even get started. If this was a sham, you would write it a whole lot better than they wrote it. I just want, I mean, this is like a mess. Like everyone's like, they're all over the place. They don't believe, they're not expecting, all this kind of stuff. If this was a planned sham, I just want you to know, they probably would have matched their stories together and had a whole lot better story than this, what really happens. John chapter 20, verse one, this is how it starts. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, it's literally, it's still dark, between, between three and six o'clock in the morning, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. Now we can learn from other accounts that, uh, that she wasn't alone, that she was actually had some other ladies that were with her. But here's the point. They had bought some spices and some ointments, and the whole point that they were going in the dark to find Jesus' tomb was so that they could embalm 
the dead body of Jesus. I want you to understand that. Essentially, they're just going to do a ritual. They're performing a ritual that everyone always does, and they had no idea that they were about to experience a miracle. And I just need to say this. I don't know if maybe this is for someone in here. Sometimes, you know, some of you maybe have come here to Easter service to perform a ritual, but I believe that God wants to meet you to perform a miracle in your life. And I tell you, sometimes, you know, even we, we go through these, these, mo- these motions, we come to Easter Sunday, we come to church, all of these things, not expecting that God is going to show up and perform a miracle. We're just going about our days, going about our time. So if you came here out of an obligation, I just want you to know that God wants to show up and give you hope in your situation. I believe that's a word for someone in here today. And if, so if you came in, you rolled in with something, you're just kind of like, I, I, just, I, don't, I don't have any hope in this. I just want you to know God wants to encounter you today in a new way. Verse 2, this is what it says. Or excuse me, the end of verse 1. So they come in, they, 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 they come to the tomb, and they saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Verse 2. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Now, you would have thought that, like, that Mary would have come back to these people and been saying, like, this OMG, he did it. He did what he said he was going to do. He's not there. Jesus rose from the dead. But no, she's like grave robbers. That's what's happened. Somebody stole the dead body. This is what she's telling Peter and the other disciples. She's just kind of freaking out. And this is interesting to me because in in Luke's gospel, we find in Luke chapter 24, verse 11, that she actually didn't just go to Peter and the other disciples. She actually told all the 11. And verse 11, this is their response. But they did not believe the woman or the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense or idle talk so literally they're like okay mary okay all right you just you seem a little over dramatic now okay all right just settle down there they literally dismissed what she had to say just like i dismissed my text from from my son about winning a flat screen tv she just yeah okay all right mary okay okay and here's the reality Sometimes resisting faith is actually a defense mechanism against disappointment. Let me say that again. Sometimes when we resist believing, when we resist faith, it's actually just a defense mechanism against disappointment. Why? Because choosing to have faith in something that we can't control, choosing to have hope in something is a very vulnerable place to be. It's kind of a little disconcerting. And I just want you to understand that these disciples, they didn't need any more disappointment. They're three days into it. They're they're already disillusioned, disappointment. Let me be very clear. The resurrection was unexpected. You look through these accounts. I just want you to see this. Nobody expected nobody. See what I did there? That was pretty good. Nobody was looking for Jesus. They were looking for for a dead body. And this doesn't make much sense to me because as I read through the accounts, I wasn't there, but as I read through the accounts, just days before this, Jesus literally gathers all of his his disciples. He's like, okay, guys, come here, come here, come here, come on. 
Here's the deal. I know we've talked about this before. I've said this before. I'm just going to remind you guys. I'm about to get arrested. I'm going to be tortured. And then I'm going to be killed. And then I'm going to rise from the dead three days later. Okay? Okay? Good. Look at my eyes, Peter. You got me? Yup, 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 yup. Yeah, they're just kind of like, okay, I got this. They got some questions about it. They're not too, not too excited about this. But just days before this, this is what Jesus tells them. And then, and then he literally gets arrested, is killed, and three days later, he's not in his grave. And they seemingly have forgotten everything that Jesus has just said to them. As I'm like pondering this, I don't know, I like to put myself into these stories because isn't it amazing how easy it is for us to drift? Like, like have you ever noticed that like you never drift in the direction that you want to drift in? Like nobody gets into a boat and they're just like, nah, these stupid oars, I'm just going to drift. I'm going to go that way. You never drift that way. You always are drifting in the opposite direction of the way that you want to go. And these disciples literally have had three days of drifting. They're just kind of disillusioned and, and disappointed and, yeah, just Mary, just, just stop, just stop. I've been drifting. Luckily, two out of the 11 were at least intrigued enough to say, I'm not going to take your word for it. I'm going to go check it out for myself. Verse 3. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb both were running. Can we just, I love that these two people ran. Like, what's the hurry, right? I mean, like, they ran. The rest of the disciples, they stayed back and just continued to drift. Like, I don't know if I really want to invest into this. And it's like, I don't know if I want to walk that far. And like, I'm just going to be disappointed. So, you know what? Never try, never fail. I'm actually safer if I just stay back here and I never actually investigate it for myself. Then I'm not going to be disappointed even more than I already am. And so I'm just going to, I'm going to hold off. And these two guys, they just start running. They just start running to investigate it for themselves. And I just want to say, some of you need to start running and investigate it for yourself. Instead of maybe staying back, saying, I don't know, I'm just going to kind of it's, it's fine if other people are excited about this whole Jesus thing, but like I just, I don't know how I feel about it. Well, run and investigate it for yourself. Run and investigate it for yourself. They, so they're running. This is what I love here. <laughs> I love that, the, the, that John, the writer of this gospel, he identifies himself. We just saw it in verse, what, verse, verse 3. He says this. He identifies himself as the other disciple. And you look at it and you're like, man, that is really like, that's really humble. Like, he doesn't even say his name. He's not like, then Peter and I, you know, we ran. He just like Peter and the other disciple. Because, you know, I don't want to, you know, make too much brouhaha about me, you know. Except for the fact that we look back in verse 2. He not only identifies himself as the other disciple, he also likes to call himself something else. And it is this. The one Jesus loved. Like, are you kidding me, John? He's like, well, and so like then Peter and the, you know, the one Jesus loved. What? Like he, he singles himself out as the one disciple. 
The one that Jesus loved. I guess when you get to write your own gospel, you can call yourself whatever you want. He literally just calls himself the one who Jesus loved. And then there's one thing more that the one who Jesus loved wants us to know about himself. And we see it in verse 4. I love this. Look, look this, is, this is the craziness of this story, right? He says, both were running, but the other disciple, me, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. In other words, you know, I mean, John feels the need in the middle of telling the most significant story ever told. He feels the need to tell you that he's faster than Peter. Just in case you were wondering, in the tomb race, I won. And then in verse 5, he continues. He's like, he, John, the one who Jesus loved, bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. This word, looked in, right? He looked in at the strips. In the Greek, it actually means this, this word like he just saw it. He looked in, he peered in, he saw it with his eyes. Visually, he saw it. And I wonder if this kind of thing describes how some people treat faith today. He looked in, saw it, but he didn't go in. I'm okay, I'm just going to look at it from the outside looking in, but I don't want to necessarily take a step inside and invest anything into it. I'm just going to stand back and look from the outside looking in. And here's what I would say is there are some things that don't make sense from the outside looking in. In fact, some things can only be experienced by choosing to go in yourself. So, John beats Peter to the tomb, cha-ching, and he's unwilling to check it out for himself. He just beats him there, stays, waits. We continue in verse 6. Then Simon Peter came along behind him, seemed like forever. And he went straight into the tomb, but he didn't touch it. Nope, I touched it first. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. So Peter goes in, and this word is a different word. The word when he says that he saw, this is a different word in the Greek. It actually means that he investigated or he scrutinized, kind of like a crime scene, right? He's really taken into account. He's, he's looking around. He's trying to figure out essentially what happened here. What's going on? Where's the body? What possibly happened? And so he's, he's investigating. And here's what I want you to understand is this, if you're taking notes, is that the resurrection is rational. Now, when I say that, you're like, well, I don't know, it's kind of hard to believe. No, I'm not saying that it all makes sense. I mean, after all, like, how could a rational, logical, educated, 21st century person believe in a myth that Jesus rise from the dead? Unless he did. Unless he did. And if he did, then it changes everything. If he actually did rise from the dead, I would encourage you to investigate it for yourself. Because I think sometimes we think, like, well, if I come into a church, then i got to check my brain at the door. Because it's all about faith and all this feeling. And, like, 
I can't really think rationally or logically about this. Here's what I would say. The Christian faith is obviously more than reasoning and thinking, but it is certainly not less than. And Jesus encourages us to investigate for ourselves if it's true. It comes down to this question on the inside of us of how badly do we want to know truth? How badly do we want to? Are we looking from the outside, looking in? Because finding truth will require something of you. It requires something of us to take a step inside to see for ourselves. So this is a documentary. Like, make kind of a mess of a documentary, but this is a documentary of an event that nobody was expecting, and the people who should have been expecting it weren't even contemplating it. They're all looking for a dead body. They thought, just read it for yourself, they thought that Jesus was going to do what every other dead person does, stay dead. Nobody was looking for the the risen Messiah. They're looking, where's the body? Did you take the body? Who took the body? Where's the body? We don't know. They came to embalm the dead body. Everybody is looking for a dead body. Nobody, I want you to understand this, on the third day after Jesus died, nobody standing outside of the tomb doing a countdown. Ten, nine, eight, nobody. These women are just like, I guess we should probably just take care of this as they're grieving and forlorn. They don't know what else to do other than I guess we should just embalm this body. Nobody is expecting it. Why? Because it's impossible. It's impossible for somebody to rise from the dead. But there are some things that God is doing and has done that you just cannot wrap your mind around. It continues in verse 8. Finally, The other disciple who had reached the tomb first, that would be me, also went inside. He saw and believed. I want you to understand that John was now seeing from a different point of view. He now decided, I'm going to go inside, invest something of myself. He was no longer seeing from the outside looking in. He believed, the Bible says, once he stepped inside to see. He saw and he believed. Verse 10. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. I I, I read this just like anybody else, okay? So like I get to verse 10 and I'm like, This is the most anticlimactic story ever. Literally, I I don't understand it. I'm not going to stick up for these guys. I'm just going to say, like, they literally seemingly go in. They're like, whew, all right, now you go in. All right, now I'll go in. And they look around, and they're like, yep, no body. Good job, ladies. All right, I'm going to go get some breakfast. Right? And they literally leave. No, like, manhunt. No, like, we are going to find him, right? No, no, nothing. They're just decide, I'm, I'm going to, okay, cool. I guess there's, there's nobody. You, you, your girls were right. And they decide to go back to where they were staying. Here's the good news. It's not over yet. Jeremiah 29, 13 says this. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all of your heart. Do you know that Jesus 
doesn't just show up to people who decide to go home. He shows up to those who show up to seek him. So the disciples leave to go get some breakfast, and Mary stays and has an experience with God. Verse 11, let's read it. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. It's not like she was still looking for, she was just still looking for the body and distraught. It says, as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus's body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And these two angels ask her, woman, why are you crying? And she says, they've taken my Lord away and I don't know where they've put him. And at this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there but she did not realize it was Jesus. And he asks her these two questions. He says, woman, why are you crying? And I love this second question he asks, because I think he asks us this exact same question. He says, who is it you are looking for? Who is it you're looking for? Whenever Jesus asks questions all throughout the Bible, it's never because he doesn't know the answers. It's always because he wants you to think about your answer. So he says, who are you looking for? Who is it that you're looking for? And here's the reality. It wasn't really a who that she was looking for. It was a what she was looking for. She wasn't looking for Jesus, the risen Messiah. She was looking for a dead body. She was more, where is this dead body of Jesus? As Jesus was standing right in front of her, have you, ever, have you ever been in a situation where, like, the solution to your problem is literally staring you in the face and you don't see it? So usually it's like after the fact, you look back on your life and you're like, my goodness, the answer to my problem was talking to me and literally staring me at in the face and I didn't understand it and I didn't see it. Why is that? It's because your perspective determines your perception. Your perspective determines your perception. She was not looking for the risen Christ. She was looking for a dead body, and it determined her perception, and she was unable to recognize the hour of her visitation. She didn't see Jesus because she wasn't looking for him. And what I found out in life is you don't usually find what you're not looking for, do you? You don't usually find what you're not looking for because she wasn't looking for Jesus. Jesus is standing right in front of her, and she's like, yeah, are you the gardener, she asks. And I just want, I want to ask you that question. I hope it rattles around on the inside of you. Is who is it that you are looking for? Uh, are you looking for an inspirational dead guy who they wrote a book about? I mean, are you looking for the Jesus that, we read stories about and died 2,000 years ago? Or are you looking for a living Messiah that is the solution to your problems, that is the hope to your despair, that is the forgiveness for your sins, that is the life to your death, that is the joy to your depression? Are you looking for the living Messiah or the dead body? Who is it that you're looking for. Verse 15, she continues, and she's thinking he was the gardener. I don't know what the gardener would be doing inside the tomb, but she says, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him. I'll go get him. 
Just tell me. Just confess it. I'll, I'll, we'll take care of this. But then, don't miss this. Catch this. Something changes in this narrative. One word changed everything for Mary. What was that? It was when Jesus said her name. Verse 16, Jesus says to her, Mary. Her faith was not by what she saw. Her faith was sparked by what she heard. She heard her Messiah say her name and all of a sudden, in a moment, she recognized who he was and she recognized the hour of her visitation. John 10, 3 says the gatekeeper opens the gate for him. The sheep listen to his voice and Jesus says he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. She recognized his voice when, she, when he said her name. If you're a mom or a dad, you, you, can, you can relate to this. Like if you, you got a sea of children and one of them's crying, you know your kids cry, right? And sometimes you're like, ah, that's, that's an okay cry. They'll get over it. I don't need to go, right? You know what I mean? Because you know, you know your kids. Or, or one kid yells, mom, and you just know that's not my mom. That's not my kid saying mom. Uh, my kid has a different, different voice than that. She all of a sudden understood and recognize Jesus calling her name. And I want you to know that this morning, that God knows your name. Amen. You would be like, well, I, I, I don't really think that God has anything to do with me. No, he knows your name and he knows everyone that he's created. He knows what keeps you up at night. He knows what brought you in here. And he knows your name. Continues in verse 16, she turns toward him and she cries out, Rabboni, which means teacher. She all of a sudden recognizes him. Can I tell you that Easter was not just an event for Mary. It was not just something like, we should do this next year and celebrate it, right? Once a year, we'll call it Easter, right? No, no, no. This was not an event for her. Can I tell you that Easter was never meant to be a yearly event. It was meant to be a personal experience. Easter is personal. We find this with Mary. God wants to make himself personal to you today. And so I want to ask you these questions as we close. Where do you find yourself in this story? There's all kinds of characters in this story. People coming and going, not believing, all these types of things. Where do you find yourself in this? Maybe you're kind of like, kind of like John where you're like, you know, the one who Jesus loved. Where, where you're kind of looking, but you're kind of looking from the outside, looking in. You're, you're unwilling to say, you know what, I'm not going to take a risk of faith myself. I'm okay with all you all being all happy and joyful about Jesus, and that's cool. It doesn't offend me, but I just don't know if I'm ready to take that step of faith for myself. I'm not ready to jump into that. I just, I'm good with the outside looking in. Or maybe you're like Peter where you're like, you know what? No, I'm here, Pastor Justin, because I am investigating and I've got a lot of questions. And if you want to sit down in that back corner, I got a list of them for you. And you know, we're going to go through and we're going to talk about these things. And maybe you're there. Like, no, I actually am investigating who Jesus is. And if he is who he says that he is. But can I just tell you that there are some things that can only be experienced and I've said this for a long time, that if God were small enough for you to understand, then he wouldn't be big enough for you to worship. Say that again. If God were small enough for you to understand, then he certainly would not be big enough for you to worship. 
Sometimes it takes just to walk in and believe. If you're like Mary, where Jesus asks, who is it that you're looking for? Who is it that you are looking for? I hear people today a lot, all the time. You know, I'm just trying to find myself. I'm, just, I'm searching. I'm, I'm going to search. I'm, I'm trying to find myself. You know, I think about that. Like, I think that if we actually found ourselves, we would probably be a little disappointed. But I know I would be. We're like, that's who I was looking for? Seriously? Here's the reality. If you want to find yourself, you've got to seek after the one who created you because he's the one that puts identity in you. He's the one that put purpose in you. He's the one that created you for a divine purpose. So if we're looking for ourselves, thinking we're going to find ourselves in ourselves, we're going to be sorely disappointed because it's not going to be all that awesome or sexy. It's just going to be like, yuck. But if we try to find ourselves through seeking after Jesus, all of a sudden we find who we truly are. Why? Because the creator tells us and gives us identity and destiny about who we are. So if you're trying to find yourself, seek after the one who created you. Because we truly find out who we are by finding the one who created us. Why don't you stand with me? Let me end this, uh, this portion of Scripture in verse 17. It says, Jesus, obviously, she says, Rabboni! And she obviously comes and hugs Jesus, the risen Christ. And this is what Jesus says to her. Whoa, whoa, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them this. I'm ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with this news. I have seen the Lord. And then she told them all that he had said to her. Can we just think for a moment? Before, you, before we head out, can we just think for a moment what it must have been like to be the first person on the planet for Jesus to show up to? I mean, come on. This woman, Mary Magdalene, is the first person that Jesus actually shows up to after he has risen from the dead. And I want you to know a little bit about Mary. We don't know a lot about her. She was a follower of Jesus. But here's what we do know about her past. The Bible tells us that she, was, um, she had seven demons cast out of her. That's a whole lot of demon. Okay? It wasn't that she was just amazing person from, from birth, had never sinned, and oh, Mary Magdalene. Listen, Jesus calls someone who doesn't seem to be very qualified to be the first person to see the risen Christ. But how many of you know that God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called? This is what he does in, in, her, in her life. It's what he does for you. He doesn't save you based upon your upbringing or how good of a person you are or how many good deeds you have stacked up. He doesn't save you because you think that you're strong. He saves you because we know that we're weak and that we desperately need a savior. And he looks at this woman, Mary Magdalene, and the first person to see Jesus risen from the dead. And he says, you are my messenger. Me? I had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven demons. Me, I'm going to be the one? A woman who in this day, her, obviously the disciples just kind of, yeah, 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 Mary, okay, okay, okay. 
me? I'm going to be the messenger? He says, you're going to be the first person in this world to tell everyone in earshot that I'm alive. I'm not ready. I know. I know you're not. But the resurrection changes everything. So we don't, we don't, as a church, just want you to know this, we don't just hold to a set of Judeo-Christian ethics from some dead Jewish religious leader from 2,000 years ago. Just to be completely honest, if, if the resurrection didn't happen, we're all wasting our time right here. It, it, it's not worth it. But if it did happen, if Jesus rose from the dead, then Jesus Christ is more than a good teacher with a lot of good things to say. He is more than a man like Buddha or a man like Confucius or any other religious leader. I need you to understand the resurrection changes everything. And if it's true, it changes everything everything. And it doesn't just change the life for Mary Magdalene from 2,000 years ago or the first century followers. I want you to know if the resurrection is true, it gives you real hope and real freedom right now. That's what the resurrection is possible for us. It's the resurrection power that gives believers the opportunity to be able to pray and know that God hears them. It is the resurrection power that brings deaf ears open and sicknesses healed and addictions fall. Brings death to life and sins forgiven. So my question is, who is it that you are looking for? Who are you looking for? And I guarantee you, if you are looking for the living Messiah, he says that those who seek me will find me if they seek me with all of their heart. Who is it that you're looking for? Now, on this Easter morning, I told you from the beginning, I'm straight up with you, I want to give you an opportunity to believe in, in Easter. Not just Easter, the event, but I want you to experience the same love, the same forgiveness, the same power, the same grace that I experienced way back when I was in eighth grade and I gave my life to the Lord. And from that point on, God has never let me go. He's changed me from the inside out. And maybe you're kind of in this place, I don't know, you, maybe you're kind of like, yeah, you know what, like I don't know if I'm ready to take that step on the inside. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with looking from the outside in, but I don't know if I'm ready to do that. Or maybe I'm, I'm okay with asking questions and, and investigating and trying to get answers, but I don't know if I'm ready to, to necessarily believe. Maybe you've just been kind of going through the motions. Maybe you're like Mary and the other ladies going to perform a ritual not expecting that they were going to experience a miracle. I just want to encourage you today. We're going to, we're going to pray a prayer, and what I would love to invite our entire church, whether you've been a Christian for years or not, to pray this out loud with me, as maybe for some of you, you choose for the very first time to make a decision today to follow Jesus Christ, to make him your Lord and your Savior and to believe in the resurrection today. So if you would, you'd bow your heads with me. You could just repeat after me. Jesus, I'm a sinner and I want to turn away from my sins. 
And I know I need a Savior. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He came, that He died, that He was buried and rose again so I could have eternal life. And so I ask you right now that you would come into my life and be my personal Lord and Savior. I give you control and ask that the Holy Spirit would guide me and empower me to live a life after you. I'd just like to pray for each and every single person that prayed that prayer for the very first time. Lord, it brings me back to the, the first time I prayed that prayer in eighth grade. Jesus, I pray that today would be a day of new beginnings. Today would be a day of walking into that, that, that cave, that tomb, choosing to see and to believe. Not to hold things at arm's distance and say, I don't know, I don't know if I want to do this, I don't know if I want to be disappointed. But Jesus, I, I believe that today will be a day of new beginnings. I pray that the Holy Spirit would fill them from the top of their head to the tip of their toes. Jesus, I pray that today addictions would fall, that marriages would be restored. Lord Jesus, I, I pray that today that lives would be transformed, old ways, old sins would fall, and that they would walk after you anew and afresh the way they've never known you before. I just want to encourage you as we sing this last song today. We're going to sing one last worship song before you leave. If you've got a prayer need in any area of your life, and we do this each and every single Sunday, if there's a, if you maybe you've got a diagnosis or there's something in your life that you just know you came in here with, I don't want you to feel like you can ever leave this place without having the opportunity to be ministered to. And so we'll have some people up here that will come alongside and just pray God into your situation. And so as we worship Him, and I want to continue in this worship, this, this vein of worship. If you have a prayer need in any area of your life, you can simply just come up along, along here up the front of the stairs and we'll have some people come alongside and pray God into your situation. Jesus, I pray that as we lift your name up, I pray you would be drawing people to yourself. God, I pray that, that, that today would be a day of new beginnings and maybe they prayed this prayer for the very first time in their life. God, I pray that they, as they take a step forward to, to say, I choose to believe in the resurrection. And God, I pray that you would not just, we would just be celebrating an event, but that you would encounter them and experience of the risen Christ today. We thank you. We lift your name up high as we worship you and make you great in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.